Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. Have you ever been grounded? You know, I have to confess something to you. I've actually been grounded for the past 20 years. You see, my dad used to do this thing growing up that whenever I broke a rule, he would ground me indefinitely, meaning for some period of time he had not yet decided. And then he would never unground me. I think he just slowly forgot and I would sneakily wait for the opportune moment to start socializing again, hoping he wouldn't remember. And I remember the last time this happened, I was about 12 years old and my family was at Home Depot. And I went trying to be helpful to grab a cart for us, whatever we were gonna get at Home Depot, and my dad just said, what are you doing? You're grounded indefinitely. And I remember being so confused because some things I had done had warranted that, but I had no idea why this had happened. And the problem was that sometimes I didn't know when I did something wrong or realized something I had done was wrong in the first place. We all come into knowing and realizing the difference between right and wrong as we go throughout life and as we experience more. And in the church, Someone reaches what's called the age of reason when they're about seven years old. It's at this point where the church says people usually can tell the basic difference between right and wrong. And sure, it might be easy then if it's like black and white, if it's concrete. Like, is it okay to hurt another person? No. But as we get older, we realize life is riddled with complicated gray areas. Is it okay to hurt another person? No. Well, what about self-defense or defending a country against terrorism through an act of war? You know, the more we learn about the world, the more difficult it is to discern the right thing to do. But thankfully, the church is not young or just starting to figure this out. The church has seen its fair share of good and evil, moral issues and crises throughout church history, and it has a mountain of wisdom and experience to share with us to help us live good moral lives. And that's ultimately what we want, isn't it? Remember, that's where we started on this whole foundation's journey, that we all have these fundamental desires 
for love and goodness, among others, and we see they ultimately point themselves to a God who created us and Jesus who redeems us from the ways we're separated from God by our sin. Jesus then established a Catholic church to continue to guide us and provide ways to be in relationship with him in prayer and in the sacraments. And so as we continue this trajectory through the fundamentals of our faith, we now come to the questions of how do we live this faith out in the world? How does the life of a Christian look different? And why do we do the things that we do? This video will premiere on the first Sunday of Lent, and, and all through this Lenten season, we'll be diving into these questions and how we live them out by practicing virtue, living out the Beatitudes, and following the Ten Commandments. But to start us off, we really have to talk about the most basic principle of the Christian moral life, and that is the fact that every single person has dignity because they were created in the image and likeness of God. Dignity is a sense of inherent value or worth that nothing can change. It does not matter the mistakes you've made, how you look, your gender, race, ethnicity, sexuality, marital status, socioeconomic status, your net worth, your GPA, what college you attended, whatever you have lived without or whatever you can list on your resume. No matter those things, we are all equally loved and valued by God. And as Christians, we must look at others through the same lens. If you think about a $100 bill, if I were to offer you a $100 bill right now, would you want it? Probably. You'd probably take it. No strings attached. Well, if I crumpled it up, would you still want it? Well, yeah, obviously, still a $100 bill. We're the same way. No matter the crumples, the crinkles that we have because of our sin or because of the things that we see maybe when we look in the mirror or the negative things we believe about ourselves or that others tell us, we still are worth the same. It doesn't change who we are or what we can contribute to the world. And we are called to see that value in everyone. But remember, God gave us free will. Free will to seek love, because love always has to be a free choice. It can't be forced. But because of free will, and the fall of Adam and Eve, we also deal with the impact of sin. Sin distorts, remember, what is true, good, and beautiful. It also darkens our minds, it weakens our wills, and it inclines us to continue sinning. But baptism delivers us from that original sin. However, it doesn't deliver us from the effects of that sin. So within us, there's always a battle waging between this powerful surge toward the good from being made in the image of God and fulfilled in him alone, and also between the darker impulses that we have towards sin and evil because of original sin. So Jesus came because God sees all of us worth, as worth saving. He came to offer us his saving grace from sin, to heal that damage that sin has done in us. We can't do that on our own. He invites us into a life in the Spirit. But that does not mean it is without difficulty, because sin is still a part of the world around us. So when we talk about dignity and value and morality, we must always recognize there will always be imperfections and struggles. It will always be messy. Sin and suffering will always be a part of life and in this world on this side of heaven. But when we recognize that the fundamental principle of dignity operates, should operate behind all of our decisions, then we can experience true freedom. Remember, all of the church's teachings, their traditions, our commands or rules, these are not chains meant to bind or oppress us, but they're like the boundaries in a rule uh, or rules in a sport. They are to protect the players, us, and help us to reach the goal, which is heaven. 
And if we don't obey the rules of the game of life, we risk getting hurt or missing the whole point of the game in the first place. Our freedom is much more than choosing between this or that. Our freedom is the God-given power to become who God created us to be, to share eternal union with him, to live the best, most fulfilling possible life. It doesn't mean it won't be difficult sometimes. It doesn't mean we won't have difficult choices or that we'll do everything perfectly once we have a relationship with God. But it is up to us to say yes to God each day and to live in such a way that our choice to pursue him um, and our life is, is different, obviously. Others should look at us and see there's something about the way that they live that's different. So the best way to grow in this freedom, to become who God called us to be, is to do good works. These free us from the selfish or sinful impulses that we have, and they build good habits. But we have to be careful here. We cannot do good things for the wrong reasons. So every moral act has three parts. The first part is the objective act. So that is what we do. The second part is the subjective goal or intention. That's the why we do it. And then the third part is the concrete situation or the circumstances in which we perform the act. So the where, when, how, with whom, the consequences, like that. So you can think of these three parts as of any choice, as what we do, why we do it, and the environment surrounding the choice. Those are the three parts. In order for something to be morally good and right, all three of those things must be objectively good. So when it comes to what we do, some things are always wrong regardless of our intentions for doing them. So directly killing the innocent, torture, rape, those things are always wrong, regardless of the situation. We just can't do them, no matter what. However, if we're doing an act that is considered morally good, we then have to discern, why are we doing it? You know, if we're only doing it because we're supposed to, or to get heaven brownie points on our record, then our intention is selfish, and it's not where it should be. And also, a good intention doesn't make something wrong or evil suddenly okay. You've heard it said, the end does not justify the means. So both what we do and why we do it have to be morally good for the right reason. And lastly, as a secondary thing, but still important, the consequences and circumstances, the environment must be good. We cannot do something good for a good reason, but know that will harm another person as a consequence because of the other circumstances surrounding it. The Catechism does say this, however. The imputability or responsibility for an action can be diminished or nullified by ignorance, duress, fear, and other psychological or social factors. So what that means is our responsibility for some evil that we may have unintentionally carried out, that responsibility can be removed depending on, or can be diminished depending on whether or not we were aware, whether or not we're operating out of fear, a mental health issue, other societal factors, things that we could not have foreseen. However, because we may not always be fully aware or able to control all of these elements of the moral act, we normally are still free and responsible for our actions. So that being said, how do we make good decisions as Catholics? We have to form our conscience. This is a lifelong process. Every baptized believer is obligated to form their conscience according to objective moral standards. So how do we do that? How do we know what is good? Well, we have to look at how it's been revealed to us. So firstly, we look at the Word of God, Scripture, the Bible. This is our first tool, and we are formed by study, prayer, and practice. Secondly, we look to the authoritative teachings of the church. Those flow out of Scripture and tradition. These are also essential. 
Thirdly, we look to the prudent advice and example of others, the saints who've gone before us, people in our lives who exhibit heroic lives of virtue, and they can help teach us how to live good moral lives. And then lastly, we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we do a regular examination of conscience to help us refine our ability to exercise the good using our gifts, but also to recognize the bad we've committed and bring it to confession. It's important to remind us that there are things that are absolutely true. There are things that are always objectively true. Always. And if you don't believe me, go back to our episode on truth and figure out why. But when when someone says, um, this is me just speaking my truth, or they just need to speak their truth, that's usually them saying, this is my opinion, or that's someone's opinion. And some opinions are fine and good. Some are true. Some people are actually conflating their opinion with something that's true. But some things that are opinions are evil and wrong and some may be neutral. Opinion can be useful when there's a gray area, and the right thing to do is not necessarily clear, or if it's not necessarily a big moral issue. However, if the truth has been revealed to us by reason, scripture, church teaching, um, if it's clear on something, then it's up to us to live that out. We're always welcome to question it, always welcome to question it, but our questioning should always drive us to try and understand more deeply rather than just say, I'm going to reject this and think that my own opinion or the internet is wiser than 2,000 years of wisdom from thousands of saints, theologians, and individuals inspired by God himself, or the words straight from the mouth of Jesus. We are not smarter than that. And so it's important to always return to those things to make sure that we are uh, acting rightly and believing rightly about what it means to be good and to do good. So if we want to live moral lives, we need to practice virtue. The Catechism says this, that a virtue is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It allows the person not only to perform good acts, but to give the best of himself. And isn't that really what we want to do? We want to make an impact, make a difference in the world. We want to be good people. Now, there are seven virtues. Three of them are called the theological virtues, meaning these are given to us by God. We cannot acquire these by human effort. They're infused within us as gifts from God beginning at our baptism. And those are the three you've probably heard many times, faith, hope, and love, or charity, faith, hope, and love. But the other four, they're called the cardinal virtues, cardinal meaning hinge, that our morality hinges on building these virtues. And those four things are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Prudence, prudence making sure we have a uh, ability to discern that we're not jumping into situations too soon, um, that we are acting rightly. Uh, justice, meaning that we are um, acting on behalf of um, others, people who are experiencing unfairness, people who are oppressed, that we're making sure everything we do is just and fair. Fortitude is responding with courage to moments of adversity. And temperance is having restraint, not excessively consuming anything. We cannot do any of these without God's grace, but we can habitually practice them by our own effort. So we can both, God and us, can both participate in growing these virtues within us. The cardinal virtues, they help us practice self-mastery to better live out the theological virtues we've been given in how we treat others. They help us exercise faith, hope, and love in our lives. So we have a responsibility to one another to work for the good of digni and dignity of all people. Our culture will often glamorize independence and achievement over things like community and tradition. And this has led to a suspicion of rules and norms that come from any tradition. 
as if everything needs to be new and reformed and changed. But love is not new. Love was the first thing. It says in scripture, whoever is without love does not know God, for God is love. He's always existed. He is the first and eternal thing, person, being. He is love. Love is not new. Love doesn't need to be redone, revamped, rethought. Love is who we are as Catholics. Love is essential to these virtues and to living the moral life. This is not the romanticized love we see in the world that, oh, this person makes me feel so great, but it's the love of the crucifix, of God himself. It's a love that makes us willing to lay down our lives in the service of others. That's what is required to authentically love another person. That's what God has already offered us. It's what we're called to offer him back in the sacraments. It's what any long-lasting married couple can demonstrate, willingness to lay down their lives for one another. And this is what Jesus told us to do. It's how we live out his words from the Gospel of Matthew. Do to others whatever you would have them do to you. This is the law and the prophets. So we need to have a consciousness and a conscientiousness of solidarity and social justice, ensuring that, ensuring that all people are treated with the dignity that they deserve, that everyone's life is honored, respected, and valued. But we start with us, with our actions, our decisions, and our choices. Because that is what we stand for. That is what it means to be Catholic. And that's why we then bring our faith into society, into politics, and into the world. Catholic moral theology and teaching does not align with any one party and candidate. Probably never will. Because we're not voting for a Messiah. We're exercising our judgment and looking at what issues are attacking the dignity of others and bringing our well-formed consciences to the voting booth. We are Catholics first, always. However. Invalid faith in, um, in politics is sometimes, uh, or invoking faith, excuse me, invoking faith in politics is sometimes done for the wrong reasons. We've seen a lot of that lately. And in a statement from the U.S. Catholic bishops that was after 9-11, the terrorist attack on the two towers, they, the U.S. bishops wrote this, it is wrong to use religion as a cover for political, economic, or ideological causes. It compounds the wrong when extremists of any religious tradition distort their professed faith in order to justify violence and hatred. So our faith commands that we live moral lives that honor the dignity of all human life. To live out the virtues and recognize that our faith is a gift from God. It's not something we should use to hurt others. It should affect our daily life, our interactions, and how we approach the world. It's important to remember that we cannot save ourselves. Our good deeds do not earn us brownie points in heaven. We do it in response to the love and mercy we've already received, responding to the grace we've been given and the salvation that's been won for us on the cross. We are saved only by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, but we will be judged according to our works at the end of our life. That is why we as Catholics always talk about faith and works, but our works do not save us. You cannot earn God's love. You cannot lose it. You cannot earn your way into heaven. It is only a free gift. So take a moment and pretend that that moment is happening right now, that your life has ended, that you are faced face to face with your life in front of Jesus. And he is asking you, how did you love? Are you prepared to answer for what you've done and what you have failed to do? And if not, the opportunity to change is now.